P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Interesting title this week, Kyle. Interesting film. We're doing an interesting title. Yeah. I mean, uh, the what I read about the title of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is it comes from an Irish toast. Now, I, I didn't necessarily get a like an Irish vibe from this movie did you no no not really like they do go to uh like a, a, bar. a bar but not like an irish pub like i'm trying to think of if he's been i guess we get nah i was i was thinking for a second maybe like money for nothing but that's just like philly no he no uh, the one movie had a little irish undertones the uh 25th hour oh 25th hour not like necessarily his character no he's supposed to be jewish. no not his he's character. jewish in that movie but mm-hmm. uh but yeah, so, uh, well, you know, before we've got a couple of good guests on, so we'll just, I'll see a nice Irish toast from it. May you have food and raiment, a soft pillow for your head. May you be 40 years in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. What is that? Is that like a positive thing? It's just saying, I guess, like, be comfortable and get away with as much as you can before the devil realizes you're, you're dead. So, foreshadow. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Iggy Pop! Amen! Let it rock! I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Puppy. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's uh, okay, thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish! <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehypnotization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans, welcome to this edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, and we're always ready to talk great movies. Kyle, are you, are you pumped for this one? We've been a kind of teasing an episode like this for a while. Yes, and we finally made it happen. We have the two co-creators, our, our, our bosses, Joey Lewandowski and Michael Manzi from the Cage Club Network. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Hi there. Wow, so enthusiastic. Thanks. Thanks. I wasn't sure who was supposed to go first. Jeez, thanks for coming on. Oh, I mean, yeah. How's the peeping, guys? There, there's there my catchphrase. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Going well, yeah. good. All great things. All this great is what things. you waited for, right? The, the awkward silence, and then says it all. That. <laughs> this is the first podcast that Mike and I have ever done. We're not sure what to say. I'm, <laughs> I'm not like tightening that up at all. I'm not editing that at all. That is just. I think this like, is the first time that Joey and I have been dual guests on someone else's show, though. Boom! We're yep. uh, we're we do we do that on the uh, PS Love Hoffman podcast. That's all we so roll. I, I feel like you guys don't need an introduction, but who knows? Some people might be a fan of this particular film and might be hearing your voices for the first time. So, uh, I guess Joey, Mike, again, Kyle, you alluded, mm-hmm. you guys started the cage club podcast network, cageclub.me. Um, so many great shows on there. We'll talk a little bit more about them later, but just like, awesome having you on. What have you guys been up to lately? I feel like there's been a lot of recording this month. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mike and I are starting, when are we starting? Saturday are going to do five, oh, no, well, I'm doing five shows in five days starting Saturday, and it's for four different podcasts total, so <laughs> there's a lot of recording going on. 
Yeah, and I had one, two, three, I guess I'm doing four this week and like four next week, so it's a hot month. Yeah, we were all, I mean, definitely, well, Mike, we were, Brian and I, we were talking to you the other day because we're going to be on your podcast soon, and then mm-hmm. Brian and I are going to be separately on, uh, on Watch the, Watch watch the, the Throne. Th- Theron. So, am I have I been saying it wrong all this whole time? Theron. Well, so her name is Charlize Theron, but the podcast has watched the Throne. So it's a whole thing. Um, yeah, it's a big. We mis-over. are dumb and not <laughs> run with things. It, okay, I can't argue with that. But it's like you know, you got to stick. You got to stick to your bit and run with it. Yeah. Right? Oh, it feels Br- right. Brian can attest to that's all I do in life, and then I double down, and then I yeah, just you're, repeat. you're a classic joke repeater and a yes. classic. But if you don't think people have heard your joke, you'll say it again until you get. Uh, I'll sometimes throw in the modest chuckles just so, like you can. Yes. Feel happy so I just. Yourself. Yeah. No, but and when you say classic joke repeater, you you don't mean like I just reuse this joke another day. You mean literally, I say it right after I just said it. Yeah, yeah. You say a joke, <laughs> nobody laughs. Uh-huh. You say it again, nobody laughs. And the third, it's like you almost tell yourself that they third didn't, times a charm. Didn't hear it. Thir- then I'll usually <laughs> hashtag like, third ah, times a charm yeah. in production. <laughs> I've heard of this. Hashtag heard of this. backdoor bingo. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you guys will know about in a few short months on the Cage Club Revisited podcast. Mike, I am hashtag backdoor bingo trying to make that trend because you coined it on the G Force episode, I think. And uh, hashtag backdoor bingo. You stick around. There you go. Check it out. I can't wait for my day of that because that's a that's a podcast I really want to guest on. But got it, guys, got to fit me in. It'll happen one day, I promise you. So anyway, we're here to talk though about a different film, not a Cage film, not a Keanu or Theron film or whatever. Um, obviously, a that's Hoffman not film. that's not even close. I it's know. not Theron at all. <laughs> it's either Theron or Theron. That's like, that's like no some middle new, grounds. That's like some new third like <laughs> pronunciation. They're like, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, the, the wrong. It's the wrong. It's the wrong way to pronounce the room. Oh, anyway, all right. Good night, guys. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs> Today's episode, Kyle, is before the devil knows you're dead. So one by one, um, I had never seen this film before. I'd always oh, wanted really? to. Yeah, oh. but I'd never seen it. Um, this is something that like. It's one of these things where once we decided to do the podcast, like I saw it on Netflix, and I'm like, might as well wait till I get to the episode rather than mm-hmm. watch it early on in the career. So I was really happy to see it, and again, Netflix, and you can download it onto your phone, so I watch it like twice. Uh, had you guys seen it before? I'll start yeah, off by saying... No, no, go ahead, Joey. Please, please, please. I saw it like a decade ago on DVD. I think I rented it from the library a decade ago and also this week. I didn't know it was on Netflix. Is it on Netflix? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even look on Netflix, so I went to the library and I got this out. So nice. I am contributing to society like That's an adult. Good. <laughs> there we go. Nice. Lindsay Gibb would be proud that you went up and out to the library. Absolutely. <laughs> She's librarian. Ah. By her book, uh, National Treasure, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw this movie, I guess, like, as well, like a decade ago. I just saw it once. I think it was, I think we were still in school. I'm not positive, yeah. but uh, I was doing one of those things probably where, like, I found this director, 
you know, like Sidney Lumet, I love Dog Day Afternoon, Murder on the Orient Express. So, like, I got into his stuff and then saw, like, oh, he made, like, new movies, like, in the 2000s. Like, that's cool. Like, what are these movies? And so I watched, like, Find Me Guilty with uh, Vin Diesel, hashtag Too Fast, Too Forever. One family. Check that out. <laughs> you could have any beer as long as it's a Corona. Any uh, brew, get it right. <laughs> uh, and then I watched this before the devil knows you're dead, and I really liked it then, and I really liked it now. And uh, I saw it back when I'd say we were all. I mean, so it came out in 2007. So um, I either saw it in 2007 or 2008. I just remember. Uh, a friend in college being like, oh, you gotta see this movie, Marissa Tomei's so hot in it. <laughs> mm. uh, and besides her being very nude in many scenes and being very attractive, it's an awesome movie. And so uh, I'd, seen it back, I'd seen it back then, probably like once in between now and then, and I just watched it again for this episode. So, yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, just... Quick opinions. Is this a film you guys, I mean, enjoyed on this, I guess, on this watch? Um, yeah, you know, it is definitely a movie I enjoyed watching again. There's a couple of, um, you know, I mean, like, I've definitely seen, like, uh, I mean, well, Mike alluded to it, like, this is a man that directed, like, Serpico, Murder on the Orient Express, Dog Day Afternoon, and while I've seen those films, like, they're not, like, fresh in my mind, I don't know if he works with the same editor, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is, uh, they do these weird cuts and, like, punch-ins when, like, this, this mm-hmm. the story structure of this movie, you know, they're jumping back and forth in between, like, four of the characters and the point of time from the crime and after the funeral and all that kind of stuff, so there's just, like, some weird editing choices and like awkward like cuts but besides that i i think it's uh i mean it's the performances are fantastic in this movie i don't like this movie oh. i think it's well made i think people are good in it i just it doesn't work for me i think that i can't get behind these like crying don't pay movies like it's the same thing this year good time came out and robert pattinson's awesome in that and i like that movie but it's just like the movie where it's like, hey, don't do crimes because things don't work out the way you want. Like, I, I don't know. I just can't. It, 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 it doesn't work for me. And I, I was hoping to like this movie. I remember, like, when I watched this movie a decade ago, I didn't like it as much as I thought I should. And I was like, oh, I'll probably appreciate this more this time around. And I don't. I, mm. I was hoping to love it. I I think, you know, for a movie that I was excited to watch because it's one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's, like, true leading roles, like, I don't think he was great in it. I don't think Ethan Hawke was great in it. I think Marissa Tomei and Amy Ryan were both really good, but I think they're both underused. I just like them both. I like both male actors in many other movies more. I got really excited when Michael Shannon showed up, because I love him, and he was good in this. But for a movie where I was like, oh, like these two guys, like I, when I saw the first time, I didn't really know who Ethan Hawke was. Like I wasn't able to appreciate him, because I was sort of, I watched this toward the beginning of me getting really into movies. And so the same thing sort of with Phil Seymour Hoffman. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch these two guys go at it. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, okay. Maybe we'll have some good yeah. old-fashioned debates today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hear you there, Joey, a bit because I do feel like this movie is heavy-handed. Uh, I feel like the like I saw Good Time as well, and I I like that a lot also. But I feel like it has the same problems that this movie does in making its point. Uh, the whole crime don't pay thing. I think yeah. mostly for me with this, it's 
hammered home with the music. I can't really, I don't like the score to this. I think it's overused and it's way too melodramatic. And at times it just takes me out of it. But I do think this is like a real like actor's movie. Like I think Hoffman's amazing in this. Like I, I you know, I don't think Ethan Hawke can quite keep up with him in this movie is the problem. Like Ethan Hawke's, you know, doing his darndest, but I mean, even when Michael Shannon shows up, you're like, holy shit, like I don't remember him being in this, but like he's just killing it right now and he's only in two scenes. I mean Albert Finney, you know, this becomes his movie a third of the way through and I didn't even remember that. I was like I was like, wow, he's doing great in this too. So Overall, I, I do I do like it because I like the way the story is structured. I mean, yes, the editing yeah. is kind of jarring at times, but I do like the way that it tells the story between um, these two brothers and the father, and you know the the, um, the sort of the paths leading up to the incident and the aftermath, and and how everyone is sort of um, resolved in the end or not resolved as it may be. Yeah, I know a lot of people who like love this film. Like when when I told people about doing this podcast, they're like, "Oh, have you seen Before the Devil Knows Your End?" I was like, "No." Like, how can you do this podcast and not see that movie? Um, so it. In that sense, I was like a little disappointed, but I still think it was a good movie. It's just there's there are people who like think this is one of his top five films. We've heard people mention it to us, right? Kyle? This was yeah. This well, this was one specifically Amos Poe brought up to us. On the yeah, episode. Amos Poe, the guy who like brought him into the business. This is one of the, the favorite like roles he saw. Of I his. could I could see. I think roles wise, I think role wise, yeah. Movie wise though, like not yeah. Not, I could see. I think I I, I could I don't. I don't see it being like amazing. I think it's a really good movie, but I don't. Yeah, see, no, like, I'm not. I'm like, not. Gonna, I see how it can be overhyped. No, I'm not going to sell this as like an, an amazing movie. I think, I think to cinephiles or not, not, and I shouldn't say all of them, but the fact that this is like the last film of a legendary filmmaker like Sidney Lumet, I feel like that kind of gives it like a little bit of like people give it more love than maybe it necessarily deserves. Well, that's a lot of credit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, he is, at this point, like, pretty legendary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, this is just... I, I Also, at a time... I mean, you know, like, we recently... I mean, between Capote and then, I mean, coming up, we have Charlie Wilson's War, and we have... Uh, I mean, uh, Doubt is coming up soon. Like, this is the time that it's just like... if I mean, if this was a boxing match, he's just like throwing every punch and hitting it right on target, you know? So, I mean, it's just coming at a time that, uh, I think compared to other roles, yeah, maybe like not the best, but still, like, uh, I mean, I definitely really enjoyed him in it. Well, it's interesting, right? Because we talk about films, we've talked about films like this before. Uh, just, you know, I always mention the Rotten Tomatoes, 88%, which is really high. Um, yeah. 71% audience, which, again, I could see that dip for sure. But hey, man, three of you liked it and me, I didn't, so that's right there at 75%. That's a good point. That's a good, very good point. <laughs> so, but it, it's also, um, it's one of these films that I know we've noticed that the, it, despite like critics liking it, and it was on a lot of top ten lists, almost no award nominations. So Yeah, the, hmm. the only award, significant award was uh, AFI Movie of the Year winner. That was... Yeah, okay. I'm sure that's like a list thing as well, you know. Is this an original script, or is it an adaptation from a novel? An, a, an adaptation from a play, I believe. Okay, oh, I can feel that now that you say it. Like, because I think that also goes along with, like, there's not a whole lot of action in this film. It's a lot of, like, 
you know, people walking around or just conversations and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Well, the, I can feel that. The few like there really wasn't like much like trivia on or anything like that. I I did watch like a little interview with Sidney Lumet, and so just like to go with like kind of the the pacing in the film and what might be like a problem for some people's. I mean, he said, uh, "I'm a great believer in." calm with drama but then like you know like just like hold it all in and then let it finally burst out so i don't know if that sheds like any light into what he was trying to do and then the other yeah well he like hoffman goes on like a murder spree in the last 20 minutes of the movie right so like when it when the shit hits the fan like it just keeps hitting it and hitting it and hitting it until the end yeah and then the one other thing and i found this really interesting and Phillips and Hoffman said he believed that Sidney Lumet did this with all of his films, but he said there was a rehearsal a uh, rehearsal period for two weeks that they would practice from uh, twelve to six every day, and then by the end they ran out the whole film just like acting in a room together. Hmm. So, um, so then like when they uh, made the movie, it was like one or two takes and just like really quick as far as filming the movie. Wow! So I thought that was pretty interesting as far as like actors becoming familiar with one another so even if you're not a scene with other people you're getting to see them act so that's kind of a cool scenario yeah for sure um just a a couple things before we like dive right in you know i like to go over the cast not a big cast here i mean we've mentioned some names obviously i mean i like seeing albert finney michael shannon was a surprise uh marissa tomei you mentioned um, we'll see her again in Ides of March, which is cool. Yes. They, have, they have scenes in that as well. And we saw and, Amy. Oh, we'll we see. The, is, wait, is Ides of March the Gosling movie? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're gonna do that for boyfriend material soon. Oh my god, our first synergy thing, right? Like with at least with our podcast. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And you, you were alluding to Amy Ryan, Kyle, and she's in three Hoffman films. Yes. Um, I I erroneously said that she won an Oscar. By the way, on um, Capote, yeah, she, yeah, she didn't. She was nominated. Yes, um, for Gone Baby Gone. Correct. So, correction, correction is out there. I would like to point out that there are two Spider-Man Aunt Mays in this movie. Oh yeah, you're right. Good call. Oh, who's the? Uh, who does the old one play? Rose. Not the, um, you know, still. I, I assume it's the one from the Tobey Maguire movies, right? Yeah, like she's yeah, and the Tom Holland one. Is she the mother? She's the mom. Yeah, Rosemary Harris. Oh, no kidding! Yeah. I didn't pick up on Good that. Yeah, Kyle, I like that one. Thank you. Because all of a sudden, I wrote, I wrote down next to her. I was just like, I was just gonna try to be funny and be like, I'm just gonna call her Aunt May the whole time. And then all of a sudden, I went, Oh my god! Yeah, our younger Hoff fans might get confused. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, because there's been three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in the original Spider Man is not in this movie. Yeah, Sally Field is not. <laughs> and can I just say that I think uh, Albert Finney as a father to Philip Summer Hoffman makes like complete sense, just like the way they look in their fucking eyebrows, all right? Like I just they just look like a good father and son. Yeah. I bet if you did like DNA match that they're somewhat related. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe my eyes when, when he showed up and they were in like profile together. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, the funeral scene and stuff like that. Um but yeah. I mean, is there anyone else that we really that we that we said, we said Michael Shannon. Right? Yeah, it's Joseph, a small Joseph cast. Abbott. I mean, there's like day players here and there in the background, but it, it's a pretty small cast in terms of like speaking roles and, and, and stuff. So yeah, 
I mean, good cast. The cast was awarded well. I agree with you definitely, Joey, that like the women in this film really stand out. I'm not dissing Hoffman here. I think he does a good job. But the, I think Amy Ryan and Marissa Tomei do like a really, really amazing job in this film. So here's my thing with Elsie Hoffman's character. I think he's doing a fine job. I think his character is like the most cliched illogical, like, nothing he does for the end of the movie makes sense. Like, Mike and I were just talking before we started watching this, and we both watched this movie, Lady Macbeth, today, which came out earlier this year, which is great. And Lady Macbeth, in that movie, this woman, Catherine, is just a sociopath. Like, she does one thing after another, and, like, she keeps having to do crazier and crazier things, but it kind of makes sense, because you're like, oh, she's unhinged. Here, by the time that Philip Seymour Hoffman goes to his drug pimp's apartment and like not only kills him but also kills the john it's like it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me like he's just i guess he's off the rails um you know like a train that's retiring he's off the rails uh but uh you know it it doesn't work for me like it's Mm. too cliched and then it becomes too crazy like there's no like any moment of like grounded reality, I think it's just him as the actor. I don't think that the character, because you like you know you see him and he's like he's like this buttoned up man who's successful and knows what he's doing and knows what he wants, and then you see him that he's a coke addict and he's addicted to heroin and he's been embezzling money and like it's just like there's these two really wide swings and like there's no humanity in there I don't think and I think that anything that's there is be- is credit to him but I just don't think that the character works for me as a lead of the movie the way that it's I'm supposed to feel about him do you feel that it's a like because you, you're saying cliche so when, when like I guess my question is, do you feel like it's a dated story? Like the story, like would have felt fresh. I don't know. Just because he's, 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 uh, you know, a filmmaker that's been around making films since the late fifties. Oh, oh, like if this came out in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Cause he made some, like, obviously some like big time between, between, I mean, especially prime, let's be honest. Yeah. in the, yeah. In the seventies between Serpico dog day afternoon and network, like we're talking like three, like huge films that like commented on like the seventies and lifestyle and the He's a big New York filmmaker, you know, Well, all three of those movies, like subject matter are still huge issues like in society. Yeah. So I, I guess that's what, I mean, I, I, I'm just saying, I feel like the reveal that he's this guy who looks like he has it all together, but is in a loveless marriage and, like, things are falling apart behind the scenes, like, I've, you've seen that, like, that's the, that's, the, that's the thing of a lot of different movies, like, that's the, that's a, yeah. a character trope you see a lot, and for it to be like this, like, look how, like, you, you think that Ethan Hawke's life is a mess, but he's, he's the one who actually has, like, life under control, because he's got the wife and the kid, like, it's just like, I get it. Like I, I, I understood what this movie was going for before the movie was like done, like showing its reveals. I feel. Yeah, mm. I, yeah. I think I think he definitely elevates the material because uh, because his character of the two brothers is you just know less uh, about the, about him. Like you know, like we just follow Ethan Hawke more. I almost feel like he's the lead because you know I we follow him more. We see more of his day to day and his troubles. And when it comes to Hoffman, like his his sort of like. Like his strikes are bigger, but they're less frequent. Like he is a heroin addict, uh, so that's like a big hit. But like 
we only really see that once and we don't really see too much how it affects him and it's like something's going on with him at work and you know maybe that's where his money trouble's coming from but nothing's ever concrete whereas I feel like with Ethan Hawke's character we get like all the concrete answers to his issues and his problems with his wife and his daughter and his job and everything else and like the way he tries to hustle and win and stuff so I think it might just be a sense of like in unbalanced material to a degree yeah and especially in comparing the two you like see that like Philip Seymour Hoffman is the one who's married still but he's in this loveless marriage and like the first shot of the movie I was going to ask you guys how many times you know he's had sex in movies and then you know I was listening to the episode last night from last week or from this week I mean Savages and you're talking about him like having a sex scene in there too and it's just like oh like, I guess that's just a thing he's doing at this point in his career but like he's in this marriage he still has his wife but like it's there's no love there and you know he's just he's vain he's like he's looking at himself like oh I can't believe that I'm having sex with this hot woman and then we see Ethan Hawke and you know Amy Ryan hates him and like begrudges him and like just wants money from him but it's like the movie's like hey guys like don't you see like this guy's the one who actually has everything still you know what I mean because he's got the daughter just like I get it yeah yeah no I mean uh, I I agree with those kind of uh, sentiments what um, do you think the structure helped with the cliche or hurt the cliche you know in terms of how it's not linear and stuff like in terms of the structure I really really hate when movies do like the big action scene at the beginning and then like loop back to get you there I'm like I just want to see like I don't want it I don't want it spoiled for me. Like, the beginning of a movie that maybe you don't need to see, but, like, Don't Breathe starts with a girl, like, running away from a house. And then, like, we get to that scene, it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, like, we know that she gets away because, like, that's how the movie started. Here, I feel like the movie starting with the action adds a layer of sadness to the planning, which works really well. But then as soon as, like, things start going out of order down the stretch, I feel like Kyle were just like, this doesn't work. Like, we know that when Marissa Tomei is at the funeral and she gets a call, like, I assumed it was Ethan Hawke. And then, like, later in the movie, we see it's Ethan Hawke calling her. It's like, well, yeah, like, who else would be calling her? Like, who else would she be telling her? I can't talk right now. You know what I mean? Like, it just Yeah, we feels... haven't been introduced to, like, other characters that would be reaching exactly. out to her. So, yeah. And that's okay. the thing. Like, you guys are saying, like, there's not that many characters in this movie like she's not going to answer the phone unless it's somebody we know calling her and like there's only like five characters who are alive and like who else and, like, and three of them are in the room like who else would be calling her it's just like yeah yeah I mean that's no so that's I mean I would agree with you if I mean if you're saying this like in that in that moment like the non-linear structure like didn't help because it's kind of like obvious like who she's talking there was a few moments I'm like alright we're just kind of re-seeing something we've seen but just in a different angle but it's not new enough for me but um I think it would have been really interesting if they used this structure and like played the same scene from different perspectives you know what I mean like what what we see in every version as far as I can remember is the truth like it's not like somebody's perception of what happened yeah. it's just what happened I don't understand because yeah. on like I was reading something like I think the Wikipedia article and they said oh it shows many scenes of different perspectives but I did not like the same scene of different perspectives but did we get any like that well, like, we see the robbery, we see the guy go in and shoot the mom, and then we see the robbery from Albert Finney's point of view when he drops the wife off, and then we see it from Ethan Hawke's point of view when he's outside, but it's not different perspective, it's just, like, it's basically just, like, different camera shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's different coverage, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a really kind good of. point, yeah. yeah. Just different angles. Uh, I actually quite like the wraparound in this movie. I, I agree with Joey to a degree, though, like, I feel like that in and of itself can be a cliche, like, I don't 
don't like it in general, but uh, what it did for me in this movie was remind me that like I knew what was going to happen in the movie. Like, oh yeah, I remember this now. Like, it's the movie where the the brothers rob their own parents and everything goes to shit. Uh, so I I I was like reminded of what happened, but I didn't remember any of the way that they got there. So I was like ready to remember. Oh, how did they get themselves into this mess again? And I actually think that the structure helps to break the cliche at times and it does overlap too much in this movie like the Ethan Hawke phone call you know example I feel like there's two or three things I would almost rather not see the same shot from a different angle ever and just take it from everyone's own personal perspective but for me it helped make it you know sort of fresh or at least you know, interesting and engaging. Like one thing I was telling you guys, I think before we started, was, or maybe it was when we started. I can't remember. It was so long ago. <laughs> but, but like, you know, a quarter of the way through this movie, you know, Albert Finney is basically introduced as the dad character, and then the movie becomes his movie, uh, and he becomes like a major character, and then it shifts between him and his two sons, and back and forth, and all that. So I feel like if we were getting this. In a linear fashion, we would be spending too much time with each character for too long, and and uh, I don't know, it might get a little too confusing because, like, you know, ultimately we're not covering a lot of time and a big event, but it's all this like minutia of their day to day in getting there that is sort of you know the detail of the movie that I enjoyed. Do you think this film? I mean, because okay, so I, like I said, I'm not in the camp that I dislike this film. I thought it was enjoyable. It's like kind of like a blockbuster, not blockbuster like big film. I mean, a film I might rent at blockbuster and be like, okay, that was all right, you know. Like <laughs> I enjoyed that, but do you think that it? sometimes felt like it was dumbing things down a little bit. Like, okay, I felt like when they would do the writing of, like, what day it was, that, I don't know, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that too much. Yeah, I mean, it does, ju- because of its structure, it's going back and forth and saying, like, and reminding you, okay, it's this person's point of view two days before the crime or a day after the funeral or two, even two weeks later or something like that. So I think it's more, you could call it dumbing down, but I mean... There's a lot of dumb people out there, so I guess it's just it's just like better Hater safe, today. Better safe than I th- sorry. I think it's just necessary because otherwise it'd be so messy and confusing. Like without yeah. knowing when you are, like when you are, you'd be like, well, who is like, where are we? Like, because it would take you half the scene to realize, okay, this is actually before she was killed, or this is after she was buried, or what? Like, it's just, it, it's yeah. so all over the place that you need some kind of delineation there. Yeah, yeah, it's not like something. It's not like something like traffic, where <laughs> those segments are color coded, and you can check out our traffic episode on Cinemaker's Steven Soderbergh. Jeez, but, Shame- like, shameless. <laughs> Shameless. <laughs> All day, baby. <laughs> we're, but, we're only starting the plugs. We're going to keep plugging away. <laughs> but basically, like, Soderbergh does that kind of shit great, you know? And, like, we just recorded the Magic Mike's episode. And, like, you know, he does it even in that movie to a degree where yep. it's just being able to, you know, sort of segment reality or break up um, different realities and to, you know, just do something to instantly recognize that you're in a new setting and in a new environment and to be automatically adjusted just, like, unconsciously consciously even at times and if this movie did something like that like if it assigned philip seymour hoffman's you know uh like a colored gel for all of his scenes and like albert finney got a different colored gel and you know then you don't really need those subtitles and stuff but again i don't know this movie's doing so much already and trying to be tricky in ways because i guess 
regardless of its, you know, just sort of like common, you know, the common nature of the storytelling, they're trying to flip it a little bit, that they need to definitely, you know, add some titles to orient the audience as to like, we're back in time now. That's, that's and speaking fair. of Magic Mike, go listen to Magic Mike's The Channing Tatum Podcast right here on Me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That was a good one. No, but um, speaking of, kind of related to what you were saying, Mike, um, a little bit. This is kind of a stretch. But uh, th- uh, Kyle, did you read this? That this is his first film, Sidney Pollock. Uh, Sidney Pollock. Sydney, sorry, Sidney Lumet's first film that he shot on digital. First and only, yeah. Yeah, for, oh, yeah, because it's his last film. But <laughs> <laughs> not intentionally his only film shot on digital, but his first one. He was like. I was reading like press junket stuff and he was like raving about oh this is the future digital it's like okay I feel like this is late in the game for that though or am, or am I crazy um no I mean the first film that was shot all digital was uh, episode 3 in 2005 so that's not crazy yeah I guess not yeah it, you know what Brian though it seems like a wide why use digital? Like it, you know. I mean, maybe for quickness. Because that's exactly no. That's exactly what he said. Oh, he said okay. He liked the, he okay. Liked, Speed yes. and money is probably the only two reasons because this isn't right. Like this isn't something with a lot of. I, I just kind of feel like you, if you shoot digital, you have a lot of special effects because it's much cheaper, you know, to transfer than film. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not guess. the technical guy, but just thought we'd bring that up. I do want to talk about some scenes, and Joey, you alluded to this. We, Kyle, and I always count like how many seconds it takes to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in, in a film, and lately we've been seeing him early, and we see him pretty early here, and we see. All <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, I just wrote. Well, that's one way to open a movie. That's yes. <laughs> like. I think there was a Keanu movie that opened with him having sex um, when he was the ad executive. It was either that. Who would you prefer watching having sex more, Keanu Reeves or Phil <laughs> Keanu, for sure, I think. Oh, uh, that's a shame. I re- oh, that, was in, I really, that, was sweet, that was in Sweet November, right? Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Sweet November, he wakes up having just had sex. <laughs> Hashtag nice. watch the throne. F- f- physically, I related more with Phillips from Hoffman. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just well, t- it's just shot t- so really. t- tired, heavy, tired, heavy breaths. Anyway, I, yeah, I know. I, Channeling is inner Patrick Bateman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was very uh, Patrick Bateman looking himself in the mirror. He was just, what I took from it is just like just the pale movement of his body. <laughs> oh, stop it. Just that's disgusting. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Brian. I mean, it's our job to analyze this man's career top to bottom, with or and without literally clothes. his yes. bottom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but what a way to open a film for him. Um, Just want to play connect the dots on his freckles. <laughs> Well, I don't, you know, the only, the one thing I really noticed about him and right from the start, I guess, but it lasted throughout was sort of his, I didn't really, he's very pink in this film. Um, I never really get that in the rest of his movies, but like, he's like, he's like pink in this movie. That was a little like strange to me. I think it may be because he was just stressing out as a character. Yeah, his his blood was just, yeah, right up against like the the skin. Yeah, because he's very tense, I feel, in this movie and stuff, but that's that's something I took away, just like color-wise. Yeah, I mean, the, the, his, the relationship between him and Marissa Tomei, and supposedly him 
Marissa Tomei, Ethan Hawke, they've been like f- like friends for a long time, which I found interesting, just in the sense that they're both like intimate. They're all intimate, you know, in this movie. Well, they all kind of feel like New York guys, right? And New York ladies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that theater scene too, or something. Yeah, that's a, definitely a possibility. But like, just like a, the couple of things that, like, I mean, just from that first scene. So they're supposed to be in Brazil. Are they supposed to be in Brazil in that moment? Because there's, they're saying they want to go back to. The- no, I don't think so. I think they're just talking about how they want to go to Brazil, and then they talk about how Brazil has no extradition because she saw that in the movie once, and maybe she saw that in Fast Five because they talk about that in Fast Five. So. <laughs> Too fast forever. Wow. Yeah, what I took away from that was this was sort of a fluke night of passion. Like he, you know, like he could get it up and she couldn't get Ethan Hawke on the phone or something. And so they were going at it. And because, like, immediately she gets cold on him. You know, she's just like, this is like, you know, she gets distant and he's like, what's happening? Where are you? And he's like, what if I could get us back to where, what do you say, Brazil or Rio? He's like, what if we could get out of there and like be there for good? And so, yeah, I just thought that that was a setup for where we were maybe going to end the movie. Maybe we're going to find them on the beach, you know, at the end of the movie or something like that. But it turns out. I think this also this also shows exactly how dumb he is because after they finally have a moment where they connect and are actually passionate again and like returning them to an earlier point in their marriage, he's like basically says like, "Hey, why can't we do that all the time? Like, why do you hate me so much?" It's like, "Oh yeah, that's that's good. Like, let her think about that as soon as they finally have a moment. They're like, why can't we do that more? Like, I don't know, just like embrace the moment, dude." Later on, in the film when she's like, "Oh, I'm a lousy cook. The apartment's." Dirty and I don't even turn you on anymore. It's just like I, I that 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 was the most unbelievable thing in the movie for me. But uh, I knew you. Were, well, I, I think at that point that. she's. <laughs> I thought at that point she was like looking for a way out of that marriage, and she was just sort of making excuses as to why she's disinterested because she would even you know not that she was going to go with Ethan Hawke, but there's at least she knows there's opportunity. There's people out there that find her, you know, lustful or attractive or you know, anything like will give her the attention that she definitely deserves. Yeah, I mean he really ends up I mean he puts up no fight for her. he gives he literally gives her cab money in the end to leave him well dude would rather go like do junk on a couch of some weirdo stranger in a penthouse than like go hang out with her so like you know that to me yeah kinda says it all. definitely that that penthouse stuff just seemed like a completely like almost from a different movie for me it just totally thought that was a woman the first time I saw that character the dealer or whatever oh really like just from afar it wasn't like and then I was I, I, like, you know, what kind of woman? What's her name? Um, Tilda Swindon. Like, oh. I was getting like that. Well, he is. This, this guy was very like androgynous. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think yeah. that was part of the point. I'm like, oh, that's a guy. Okay. <laughs> I I assumed he was a guy, but I was just more surprised that like he and Philip Seymour Hoffman weren't intimate. You know, what I mean? like I guess I mean it is really intimate. Mm-hmm. But they, like they didn't have sex. Like I feel like that might have happened. At one point, maybe I don't know the in t- the ins and outs of this type of business, but I feel like I was I, I saw that I thought he was a guy, you know. I assumed, I guess, correctly, and then it was weird that like he just goes there to like shoot up, and then leave. I think the I think the whole philosophy behind that is just like then for that drug dealer, like they're using the drugs on their premise, so it's not like they could ever get they would find out. Like, you know, find like a safe zone. Yeah, exactly. Phillips are off and like leave. The room yeah, exactly. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, cash. Go for it. Well, it's a dr- it's a dr- it's a dr- it's a drug spa. That's what it is. It's like <laughs> higher end stuff. 
So we're going to talk about some scenes, obviously. Um, this is one thing I said, it's like, I guess, a negative to the film. Uh, there wasn't too many memorable... Like, I like the performances, but like not too many memorable acting scenes for me. Like, Savage is, like... I remember we assessed Kyle. Like, there was a lot that we could pick from. This one... I don't know, uh, but we'll talk about it. Is there any scenes in particular you want to talk about? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Just realized something. Okay. This is the latest we've gone into this. But, Kyle, the Hoff fans are missing your legendary summary. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, well, let's see. Brothers Andy and Hank... Oh, you're have... ready with that fast. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, brothers Andy and Hank have money problems, so they try to solve them with the perfect crime of robbing their parents' jewelry store. When it goes hor- horribly wrong, their lives' uh, downward spiral accelerates and no one is left unscathed. Boom. Cool. Okay. I mean, even when I was writing that, by the way, like when it's like brothers Andy and Hank have money problems, like I'm just like everything I write just ends up sounding like it could be like a comedy of errors. Those are those are stupid names for like a drama. Yeah, Andy and Hank. I mean, they fit the characters though, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I definitely. So there you. So there you go. (laughs) Guess you're right. Uh, So, guys, have I have I made it clear that I don't like this movie? (laughs) <laughs> were there were there any scenes that you liked? Every time Amy Ryan's on screen, I am engaged. Uh, she's amazing. Every time Michael Shannon's on screen, I'm excited. Um, but did you like the scenes? I guess is what I'm asking. Oh, I like that Michael Shannon scene where he's like, "You're the guy who ordered the seven and seven. <laughs> That's a good line. I like the that scene. Like- where, no, I like the scene where he sits down. And is like, look, I know that my brother-in-law is a piece of shit, but like, he's the father of my sister's kid, and like, like that whole interaction, I like that because it's this guy who comes like. By this point, I don't like anybody in the movie, and he comes in. I'm just like, like he's like this realistic guy. Like, look, I know that guy was terrible, but I need, I need, I need something. Like, I need you to fix this, and like, I like that. Um, I love that he asked both guys if he could call them Ethan Hawke. He asked if he, <laughs> if he could call him Chico, and he asked uh, Phillips and Rothman if he could call him Groucho because he <laughs> looked angry. Those are March <laughs> Brothers. The one thing I really liked in terms of directorial, like, or maybe not directorial, more of the script. Like the one thing I liked about the script is at the beginning of the movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Marissa Tomei finish having sex. And he's like, feel my heart, feel my heart. And like, it's obviously beating really fast. And she's like, are you going to make it to dinner? And then the end of the movie, he doesn't have a heart attack, but like, it's the heart monitor that he ha- that, the, that Albert Finney has to trick. Oh, uh, look at that this. I liked. Yeah. Everything else about this movie is but. Not, no, it's not. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. But like, wow. I, I, but like, I, I like that in terms of like, this, I, I really don't like this script. I think it's very, like, that's my problem with the movie. But in terms of that, like, in terms of like, Philip Street Hoffman, like, basically saying, hey, I'm going to have a heart attack. We need to monitor my heart. And then at the end of the movie, it's the heart monitor that, like, is the last yeah. barrier to Albert Finney ending his life. I like that moment. I like that circular thing. Okay. Um, yeah, that was nice. There was a couple of scenes that I really liked, and I mean, I, so I like the chemistry between Andy as the older brother and Hank as the younger brother. So I, th- I think we should play a clip right now, and we'll play um, where Andy and Hank uh, meet at the bar, and they and Andy first brings up the robbery. Fuck you! I can blow yourself on. <laughs> I don't have one. Uh, it's just it's brain cancer. There's a payphone over there by the bathroom. You can wait. What's happening with you? I just think you had the world by the balls, and I'm not sure you even got any. 
Oh. I got them when I need them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's smart and funny. What I always admired about you, your wit. You're a prick, Andy. I always was. So let's see if there are any left. What? Cajones. Well, you need money. So do I. Let's solve it. What are you talking about? Well, there's a place we can knock off. You know, like the back of our hand. Easiest money we'll ever get. What are you saying? It's worth about 600 grand. And it's insured, so it's a victimless crime. I offer that in case your faggoty little conscience bothers you. I lay it off on 20 cents on the dollar. That's 60 grand each. Give or take. I can't believe this is you that's talking. I believe it. So it's safe. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody wins. It's perfect. Do you need money? Of course I need money, but this is a serious crime, Andy. I'm not a serious crime kind of guy. I got a kid. You got shit. You got a whole lot of shit. You said so yourself. All the time. Every day. You know what? It's not as serious as you might think. You're my little brother. Now trust me. All right, the thing with this scene is that I feel like this is where we start seeing... Phillips or to Andy's uh, Phillips and Hoffman's characters like true colors because he's not only like you know there's the good stuff that they're the brothers and he's like the older brother and he's the ball buster but he's also like we see he's a manipulator in this scene you know like I, I just I, I feel like at, at this point we just see that like there's we see the power struggle right there and we get the sense that like he I don't know like that it just there's just like a lot of like pent up stuff between this family and it just seems like he always had something like over his younger brother or something like that. What do you guys think? Uh yeah, I mean there's even the line where Ethan Hawk's like, you know you're a prick and or something and he's like, I've always and then Hoffman's like, I've always been a prick. You know, like he owns it like in that moment, I guess. And I think this is the only time we were seeing like who he really is like in like the only thing he can control in his life is his younger brother or so he thinks like he knows that he has the power over him and you know he's just always had it somehow we don't really know like but i just assume he's like you know been bigger than him and so he's probably sat on him (laughs) growing up and just like bullied him you know just because he's like less you know even brings up to his dad like maybe if i was prettier or like you know you know um the ugly child or whatever so like he's definitely got like some jealousy stuff going on and um you know all that kind of comes out a little bit here and there in in little flurries in in that particular scene yeah yeah for sure i think it is weird like this scene i like how it sets it up but it is weird kind of later when he like no sells the whole fact that uh ethan hawk is character sleeping with his wife like I feel like if you've had so much over somebody for so many years, like that would bother you more. I don't know. What, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think maybe that could have been that. It, maybe the whole thing, the whole movie, might have even played better if we, if Hoffman fa- finds that out 
like really early on. Oh, and yeah, that's like- why he recruits his younger brother. It's almost a, like, you know, if he can get away with this, great. I'm going to double cross him anyway. But if he can't get away with it, he'll go to jail and like I'll get back at him for sleeping with my wife and then figure out what to do with Marissa Tomei the rest of the movie. Yeah, it did seem like he was keeping himself like he gives that uh, like the next scene that they have together once like Hank says he's in and he tells them the plans that it's I love, you know, like he's like, you know, it's a mom and pop. And he's like, oh, literally, it's mom and dad's like place. But, uh, it, you know, he, he creates it just seemed like a very like paper thin excuse like oh i did some real estate up there and people would recognize you know like my face or whatever so i mean because he was planning he wanted his brother he wanted you know hank to go in there himself he was surprised that this other guy was brought on so it just seemed like he was creating and 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 at that point you know not that like maybe the family knew uh but obviously ethan hawk's wife you know knew that he like owed her and the daughter like alimony or not alimony you know if uh you know child uh payments and stuff like that so that sounds weird child payments uh child support support. thank you you'll you'll Uh, know when you have to start paying it kyle yep nope i won't i'll be like you talk um (laughs) (laughs) you are coming off smelling like a rose (laughs) i love it you guys bring the best out of me anyway um but i mean it just seems like he was you know like keeping himself at a very safe distance that he could have just like clean you know cleaned his hands easily from this and put it all on ethan hawk on on hank i could see that there's one scene that i liked in particular i felt was uh was really good was when albert finney goes to the um sort of the black market jeweler at the end oh yeah that's where like yeah that scene where he like discovers the business card of his sons and basically puts it all together in that moment but uh, i just like from the beginning of that scene there's sort of like this unspoken recognition like instantly just those two actors like play it perfectly i feel and uh you really get the history between them even though you really don't know anything about it but uh you know you know, if you know like anything at all about diamonds, you know that there's like a very dark, illegitimate side to that industry and everything. And so, you know, this is just the very surface of all of that here. And and so, I don't know. I thought that was really great moment and pretty well performed. And uh, yeah, so I, I like that. I like the look of that guy. He had like a odd shaped head. You know. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, I see him, and he's been in tons of... He's, like, some kind of character actor. I think he was in... I, I don't know if this is true. I think he reminds me of the old guy in Monster Squad, maybe. I don't know. But he's got a very interesting, unique uh, look to him. I think he also happened to pass away, like, not too long after this movie. I think they are both, like, him and Sidney... He was probably in other uh, Sidney Lumet films. And I think they just both happened to pass away, like, a year after this movie. Gotcha. Um, as we said, it, it, the you know it goes horribly wrong, and so it's that Hank. They they fre- they frequent this one bar. You know, it's like a very reoccurring location in the film, and so he asks, which is not obviously a good place to like get somebody that is going to end up doing like a crime with you but um he ends up what the guy's like a, a waiter there or a busboy and is bobby lacerata good name and so lasorda he, lasorda lasorda like, yeah, like tommy, tommy lasorda, lasorda the yeah. dodgers manager <laughs> oh. he looks good for Jeez. his age <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. La Serrata. Uh, Where did you get that? I guess I, I wrote it wrong. <laughs> yeah, La Sorda. No, I wrote it. No, I wrote it La Sorda. I just um, you read it wrong. I read it wrong. Yep. <laughs> and uh, oh, I like his whole thing because then he, Ethan Hawke was planning on they were planning on going there together, and he pretty much calls out Hank and says like, "You're not ready for this. You stay in the car and with your wig and your mustache, which are fantastic, by the way." And my shitty music on your radio. Yeah. <laughs> Which that actually, that's like one of the, that whole CD thing, like ne- nothing ever came to fruition from it. That was like weird, gets, kind of, right? Right? Like that definitely was a weaker point. Guys, telling you, not a great script. <laughs> and then Ethan Hawke just gets away at the end. Like we just see him running down the street. You know, like his, his thread starts the strongest, but then ends up sort of collapsing the most out of everybody. I feel like maybe they dwell too much with Albert Finney, even though he's my like second favorite part after Hoffman. Yeah. Uh, and Albert, there's just like, a, and Albert, I Finney, just feel like, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I just feel like, again, the balance of everything, if it was a little more sort of, uh, balanced story wise, time wise, screen wise, maybe, I don't know what they could have done. But. Yeah. This film was just shy of two hours. And I feel like with like a couple, with like five more minutes, they could have tied up a few loose ends, but at the yeah, same, like with that guy, they bring on with uh, the, the, the sort of dude, like, I don't really, I didn't like, that's maybe the one aspect of this film I didn't like. Like, I would think it would have been much stronger if even Ethan Hawke actually, you know, was the one who committed the crime and accidentally, like, but then again, you know, why would, you know, it would have to be a real accident because he knows he's holding up his mother. He would definitely recognize her and all that. Maybe not go through with it. So they needed to work around that somehow. And then we get Michael Shannon because of uh, Bobby Lasorda. Maybe if Michael Shannon was just playing that role, they just, you know, if they somehow, like, he's combined it. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's the actor. There's something about it, like, played, played, you know, the weakest for me out of everything. Kyle, were you going to say something about Albert Finney? Yeah, I just found it like it was well, uh, that Albert Finney just kind of like walks off into like the white light at the end. <laughs> it's like that's like he goes down the hall, he yells for the nurse after he smothers his firstborn son. He goes to become a master thief and retires somewhere on an island and waits for Rusty to bring his daughter to him in Ocean's 12. Hashtag Cinemaker's Oh my goodness. goodness. Stop. I knew exactly, I knew exactly, I knew exactly where that was going to go and I just let it happen. I just let it like a slow sign. Pill. I just let it. <laughs> what? Al- Albert Finney is my favorite Scrooge of all time. Um, <laughs> oh, you should go see. You should go watch uh, the Christmas Carol version that Nicolas Cage was in in Cage Club. There's a. It was animated. It's terrible. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, oh, and Albert Finney was the original uh, uh, Inspector uh, with the big mustache from Clues. He was in the original. Yeah, no, he was in the um, original or, or, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, Matt, that, which we talked about earlier, yeah, right? Yeah, right there. So he's Hercule Poirot. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I don't know. There's not too many other scenes. Are there any other ones you want to discuss, Kyle? Um, I, I would like just because Sidney Lumet said that he was absolutely blown away by. Uh, Philip Sinner Hoffman's performance in this scene and that, again, I, I briefly said it before it's when uh, Andy and uh, well, Mercy Tomei's characters, Gina, I believe uh, when yes. they left when they left the the you know post funeral like you know at the at the you know his parents' house or whatever, and he has the freak out in the car. So let's just let's just play that since that was the late and great Sidney Lumet's uh, standout favorite scene from the movie. Andy? 
my bed. I am. Okay. Uh, why don't we pull over? definitely something to be said i mean there's a, a lot of people in this movie have been nominated or and or won oscars sydney lumet only won a he uh he got a honorary oscar i believe in like 2005 yeah he never won that like a competitive statue yeah he's up there with the you know stanley kubrick's and stuff like that George hashtag Lucas. oscar so white <laughs> <laughs> that's my next podcast like I said, Sidney Lumet loved that scene, was just really blown away by Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. Uh, one, one other thing, since we were talking about Michael Shannon, and he, he also is like might be my favorite uh, living actor. When Michael Shannon went to audition for this role, he said like two lines, and then Sidney Lumet went like, okay, that's enough, and he thought it didn't do well, but then when he was like walking by the table to leave, he heard Sidney, Sidney Lumet say to the casting director, that's the guy for that role. Wow, like, cool. Hey, that's cool. Hey, Kyle, have you seen your favorite living actor, Michael Shannon, in the Cage Club film World Trade Center? <laughs> Dude, something yeah. about his performance in that movie, it's like the only movie where he doesn't come off as like this super menacing But presence. he's still super creepy. He's still creepy to a degree, but he becomes like, he's like a helping, he's like a... He's a oh, he's like a literal responder. angel, yeah. Yeah, like he walks to, to the site, Ground Zero, from like Boston or something. Correct me if like I'm wrong, but th- isn't he the guy in real life a black guy and he played well obviously there was there was something weird about that that, that's, that ring rings a bell I'm not sure if that's right Speaking or not of so was, white, they had to yeah. sort of like condense and amalgamate like a bunch of characters even yeah hashtag yeah, cage club so white <laughs> <laughs> let's not have that trend <laughs> uh, you know what there was a, a point in this movie that really threw me there's an aspect and I actually this is something I liked about it that I thought it handled very differently than most films is the uh, they have a sister. Yes. And oh my god. <laughs> she's in like two shots. Yeah. <laughs> like just doesn't factor in to like the quarrel or any of it whatsoever. Well, she does. Yeah. She, she was... makes a little comment, and Marissa Tomei like shuts her down at, at, in a hospital. Uh, in the hospital. And so, room. and so is Philip Seymour Hoffman because she says something to de- is like when he's something about Jesus. Yeah, something right? about Jesus. Like, yeah. 
pray, pray for her and stuff, and they just snap at her. But I just meant like in the in the lives of these people, like she's just you know not included in the family. It feels <laughs> like yeah. It, it, well, because she's because just... she's the middle child, I think, because he's supposed to be the oldest, and Ethan Hawke's supposed to be the youngest. So oh, okay, but there's not even like that that you know scene where um, you get in and where the like they'll go to her for a loan or something and get kicked out you know or like show up at the house and she's like i told you never to come here and there's you know like usually you'd get something like that and then all of a sudden it's just like i'm on the phone with your sister it's like what <laughs> you have a sister here she is okay yeah <laughs> no i think overall in this film that there's a lot of there's a lot of good ideas and there's like some good like again i like i like the structure i mean it might you know be some cliche roles or like you know aspects of it's a story that we've like seen before but i think ultimately it is you know an actor's piece and you know i i think everyone in this movie does like either an outstanding job or a really good job um I will have to disagree with the, like, I mean, Marissa Tomei is, like, fantastic, but I feel like she was given very little to work with. I actually... Oh, no, absolutely. She and Amy Ryan, like, are completely underserved in this movie. And they're, I think, the best parts. And, like, they're just the fact that they're not on screen more, that they're given literally nothing to do except for nag men or sleep with men is like, oh, hey, cool. Yeah, I mean, the Amy Ryan, like, I mean, as far as, like, what her character... Like, you know, she, I mean, she's on the, like, outskirts of this story anyway. Like, I mean, I did really enjoy Yeah, her. but you can still give her something. Like, literally yeah. every time you see her, she's like, hey, Ethan Hawke, where's my money? And it's like, uh, okay. Like, give her literally any character trait, and it's better than what she has here. I would have liked to seen her, like, talk to him more about, like, the situation, what was going on. Even if she's being shitty to him, um, she definitely seemed like the more intelligent person in that couple when they were a couple. And it's still the father to her child. I feel like... Exactly. She could have put more input into what was going on rather than just, like, give me my money. Yeah, I would have liked to have had, like, her and Albert Finney have a scene or her and Marissa Tomei have a scene and have them, you know what I mean? Like, just, she would fit organically into those moments, you know, either in the hospital or in the funeral because that is her granddaughter's you know that is her daughter's grandmother after all so like you know she, i feel like her character would show up and uh it's a shame that they don't you know try and expand that and we don't you know like, e- even if it, even if they have to use those characters to give us a better idea of what's going on with the men in the movie you know like at least use it do that you know like try that at least and it's a shame because like we do get we do get what a great sense of what an asshole that ethan hawk's character is with her you know so i feel like she would be a good cipher in um how i should feel about other characters like if she ever interacted with philip seymour hoffman right like i would probably get a better idea of how big a prick he is you know yeah it is confusing and that kind of thing it is confusing because ethan hawk like seems he lives in like a shitty apartment but then he's working at the same place like i'm assuming that andy gave him a job in the same office right that's what it seems like they work in the same place when he goes to visit him he's already in there 
Yeah. Yeah, and his job seems more menial too. Whatever it is, we don't really even get the sense of what he, he does. We we get a better idea of what Hoffman's doing with like accounting, I guess, and, and other things. Where so, do you think his money goes? If he has a job like that, the child support didn't seem like that much. He paid like a couple months rent and it was a couple months child support and it was like six hundred dollars in total yeah well it's well it's, uh, it's, so it sounds like she's going to a really expensive school and that's what he's paying for on top of the child i don't know support. if I, I don't know if i made the, i definitely made up that he was gambling then because i could have sworn <laughs> i could have sworn he placed a bet or two during this movie but i, I definitely th- made that up yeah i mean it's obviously it's so i mean and it's i mean not that we're like tiptoeing around this, but clearly, I mean, like it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's character that has the vices, and they definitely, you know, hit close to home with. The, I, I forgot that the fact of uh, that there was heroin. I knew that. I remember him doing the coke for some reason, which is a very like brief scene, but I just totally forgot like that whole aspect of that weird androgynous drug dealer scenario and uh yeah i mean you see him like literally with like the you know injecting getting getting injected or whatever uh which yeah obviously um we've seen him play these addict characters before he was an addict in real life i'm sure that drew him to it but i'm sure also the director drew him to this role as well um oh did you want to play the clip from that that robbery scene then yeah, you know, you know, like let's play one final clip, and we'll play uh, his killing spree and them robbing, you know, the uh, the drug dealer. Andy, Jesus Christ, I'm gonna kill him, right? Come on. Come on. Hold the bag. Hold the fucking bag. Hold it open like this. Hold it open like that! Oh shit, did you want, do you want these? Just put it in the bag, put it in the bag. God, Andy. Did you touch anything? Did you go crazy? Did, did you touch anything? Did you touch anything? You didn't have to kill him, right? He's not going to go to the cops. Right? He's a drug dealer. Yeah, just, he'll just go to some other dealers and suppliers. That's all we need is 10 South Americans chasing us for the rest of our lives. Did you touch anything? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so, no! No, Stay. I didn't! I God didn't damn it, did you think? Did you touch anything? I don't like this, Andy. I don't like Shut up! Did you touch anything? Are we good? Let's go. I mean, Mike, you said it before. He just goes on, like, kind of like, I guess this is, well, this is what Sidney Lumet was saying, that it comes, you know, it's all calm, and then it comes to, like, you know, a complete boil, and this at this point he goes on, like, a murderous rampage. And then, Joey, you also said it's like, it wasn't necessary for him to kill that the the John that's just like on the bed passed out because of heroin we're assuming. 
Yeah, like, he doesn't know he's there. Like, why? I just, I know that he's, like, just blind with, I guess, rage or, ins- I don't know. I don't know. It just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, that that one I forgot about, too. That, I don't, I didn't really get that either, except to show that uh, the pillow gag works, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, you could shoot someone with a pillow and it would muffle the sound. Um, but I understand, like, him killing the actual drug dealer and all that kind of thing. Um it, it just it's just like I, I I don't know I bought I bought that you know once he pulled that trigger it was it was just like in, he's in control this is like a tool that can help him get what like that, that feeling of power like you know like if anyone stands up against him it'll just fucking kill him and shoot him and um you know, he's just going to, that's the way he's going to go out. Like, he's not going to, you know, even calls his own brother, like, soft and calls him a punk and a pussy and all that. And even his dad calls Ethan Hawke, like, you know, he was always a baby and things. And so, like, the Hoffman character is not. And, like, he's just, he's just not going to go out like that. And, you know, for, for if this movie needs to sort of, like, start flying off the rails, uh, I think it, like, at least is pretty like consistent you know like once he starts killing he keeps killing like he kills a couple people he goes then he kills michael shannon um yeah he kills he kills three like people. a nice little yeah yeah and then he gets shot like that's kind of an interesting shootout there like he gets shot and the girl's just like get out of here yeah i mean really if i mean in the whole film like like i said earlier that it's like he was trying to stay like on the outside like he was just trying to be like the mastermind of it and then have uh, Hank like physically execute the crime, but then Hank brings the friend in, and he's the one that actually. Yeah, he should have just done it all himself. Yeah, because if to begin with, well, right? well, even towards the end, even though he's going on this rampage, like if he was about to shoot, I, I think that woman's name was Chris, uh, Michael Shannon's sister, and he was going to shoot her, and then you know, and then Hank says like, "I'm not going to let you do that," and then that's when he turns around to him and says, "I know, I know, you've been sleeping with Gina." And then he gets shot, like, it looks like kind of, like, I don't know, on the back, shoulder or something like that. And then his father smothers him, so, you know. That's uh, our our big (laughs) ending, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Father smothers him. (laughs) I don't know if anyone, the one other little thing I read in this that was an interesting, I don't know much about, we should have brought our uh, Shakespeare retainer guy on, uh, just, or we can ask him another time, uh, John Harden, that is. But the Ethan Hawke's daughter is performing King Lear. And supposedly, does anyone know the story? Like, oh, yeah, King Lear's a tragedy where everybody dies. Yeah. Okay. That, but that's is what there I the, know. Well, it is, <laughs> King okay. Lear is a story about three children that are all in it equally, and they all basically want to divide up their parent, their fa- from what I remember, their father's kingdom, and like they all sort of like, like all sort of fall, like, it's all a tragic ending, because, like, that doesn't work. Like, you can't just fight over... So it's the same thing here. I mean, it's it's a very, like, yeah. oh, hey, look, they should included the sister, though. <laughs> so it would have been three yeah, children. But women can't have sisters. good roles. Sibling rivalries. Yeah, or power in this film, you know. It's just about the dopey men. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I guess... Like, do you guys like the ending? I mean, or... Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I could have answered that for Joey. (laughs) Um, I mean, like, the one... Again, like, the thing that I do like about the ending is the sort of, like... The, the this whole feeling that it's not entirely resolved that yeah Albert Finney you know um, 
gets his son, gets one of his sons, but his other one gets away. Like Ethan Hawke is still out there with that bag, um, whether it's filled with money or drugs or whatever. Uh, and there is no like conclusion to that. And like sometimes in life, you know, there's just like you know you that that can happen. Like there's just another one of those moments, sort of like how they handle the sister and and things. Like I just like the way it breaks when it breaks from the convention. I like what it's doing with that, and uh, I wish it did it. A little bit more uh, as opposed to sort of play it maybe a little too safe plot wise and um, try and you know use uh, like technical trickery to bring like a new aspect to the story yeah I definitely feel like this film wanted to be like experimental is not the right word but like had its moments of uh, just like wanted to be a little different and it's almost like a uh, blockbuster um, uh, independent drama in a way like it's what I feel like a mainstream Hollywood studio would feel like they're making you know a low budget independent drama um, but it, it still it just has all this star power behind it so I think you know. I mean it just is very reminiscent I mean it the, just the kind of material that Sidney Lumet, you know, made and was attracted to, and it does. I, I think that, like, the more I'm thinking about it, like, has almost like a a dated feel to it, just as far as like the outcome and its, um, and just the and just the way he was telling it. But I mean, I still I still enjoyed it. I, I like as far as the ending to answer Brian, uh, as far as the ending goes, I like the end of. Philip Seymour Hoffman, I thought, like, his ending was, like, appropriate, and I do like that, like, then Ethan Hawke is, like, you know, out, you know, like, running again, you know, or on, on the run, on, on the run or whatever, um, but just, like, the, like, the actual ending of, like, Albert Finney walking off or whatever just kind of felt, like, a little, a little loose for me. Well, yeah, it's very heavy-handed again, and, like, that, is this movie's like main problem for me is like along with the music do you get those moments where it's just like i get it symbolic like i didn't really need a symbolic shot at that moment i just you know the movie could have just ended uh cut the black so uh, let's try to step out of our like film snob uh viewing point um why do you think this movie is so popular with so many people it, it, like I don't think we're doing a good job of selling it necessarily, even those of us who like it. Because it's not a good movie. <laughs> but <laughs> so why does it? Why does it? Well, like- okay, I got a. I have like a you know half cock theory. Basically, it's sort of like with the movie Crash, where it's like, why the hell is that movie so popular? How did that win all the Oscars? You know, like I don't. I mean, I feel like that is sort of, you know, a very poor version of those types of films that, you know, take a whole bunch of different threads and stories and, yeah. and intersect and things, you know, um, and pull it off. Like, it's a very cheesy, you know, almost soapy kind of version of that and is very safe in that way. And uh, I feel like this has a bit of that to it. Like, I feel like this appeals to a mainstream audience much more than, like, maybe, you know, forgive me, but, like, a intellectual underground audience that has seen, you know, foreign French crime dramas that uses this type of editing structure to tell story, you know, that uses these tricks and has the, these techniques are nothing new. They're just new to the general public, I feel, in the way of telling um, a very basic story they've seen before. So they're getting something they know, but it's presented in a different way. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, he crashed though. Just to be fair, like has lost a lot of weight over the years. In term, I mean, good. No, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just looked it up quickly. Like, it's now seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, not that that means anything, but just like to compare eighty eight with seventy seven. This movie is still a movie that, again, we've we've even spoken to people when we have them on the podcast or outside of it. Who this is one of their favorite Hoffman films, which is I think. It- Sorry, I think on. it comes down to two things, and it's a stellar cast and uh, legendary filmmaker. And it doesn't hurt that then it's like his last film. I think that's honestly what it co- like comes comes down. To. Yeah, the movie it just has a lot of clout. You know, it just comes with a lot of like reasons to want to watch it and, and want to like it and and things. And so, but. You know, and that's that's fine. I think that I like this movie a lot. You know, like I mean, I might, you know, talking about it is tougher because we've been, you know, kind of dissecting it, and it might sound like I've been kind of harsh on it at times, but like still overall, like I would watch this again. Um, you know, I do like this movie. Do you still defend your four and a half out of five star rating on? Uh, it'll probably drop half a star <laughs> by the end of the night. When I saw that. I was like, holy! But I'm still giving it. Well, that's only because you know, honestly, because I watched Lady Macbeth today, and it's like that is a genuine five stars right there. That movie's great. Yeah. Hey, I mean, we watched uh, Savages last week, and I mean, I wouldn't put this like in any comparison to Savages I th- or The Savages, sorry um, although I brought it up to Brian that it was weird, on the DVD it just says Savages, but everywhere else it says The Savages yeah um, but anyway, I mean like th- 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 that to me was like almost like a near like a near perfect film, but this this it's about the performances and I do like them, and so I agree with you Mike that like, I mean, you know, I would watch it again some years from now or whatever and, and still, in- still enjoy it, or maybe by that point maybe that would be the uh, viewing that makes me like it a little less or something. Uh, or even more, maybe. You know, it kind of seems like an, an older person's film, maybe because Albert Finney Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's definitely... I mean, it's a complicated film in the sense of, like, the emotions that everyone's being, you know, put through, so... Um. Any other things anybody wants to mention about uh, this film? Except, I mean, Joey, if, if you want to mention its butt again, that's fine, but... It's not but. <laughs> well, you guys, I definitely want to give you time. You haven't plugged anything yet, so please. I think we've plugged every podcast that we do except for Zach Attack, so go listen to that if you like Zach Efron. <laughs> yeah, again, anything else on the network you want to plug? or any? Anything? So this comes out next week. So uh, as this comes out, the first episode of Magic Mike's The Channing Tatum Podcast will be available. We watched Coach Carter. That came out on Monday, so there's oh. that. Next Thursday, the first episode of Boyfriend Material comes out, and that is going to be La La Land. So that'll be out soon. Wait, what? Um, We're starting... So so for uh, Ryan Gosling, we're doing the same thing with Zac Efron. We're starting new and working our way old. Um, I see. So we skipped Song to Song because we don't want to start with the Terrence Malick movie because I feel like that was a really iffy way to start out things. Um, (laughs) So we're going to start with La La Land and then go... You know, exactly. Like that's, I agree. <laughs> and then last week, uh, or like a week and a half ago, you guys mentioned it last week, I think. Uh, we had Mike and my podcast, Watch the Throne, the Charlie Theron podcast started. And the first episode of Too Fast, Too Forever also started on Friday, December 1st. So Charlie Theron podcast comes out every Friday. So this will be episode three, which is our first guest, which is the Nico episode, the That Thing You Do episode. My great white So go buffalo. listen to that, and also go listen to Nico's other podcast, Now and Again, 
uh, he and Chris podcasts go through the now that's what I call music episode or discs and do an episode on each. But Nico has his own podcast coming out early next year. Um, so stick around for cageclub.me for that. So, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so I was thinking about this the other day in terms of someone who I would love on... Kyle, we talked about a guy we would love on our podcast, but who's technically also in the Fast Universe. What is the Fast Universe called? The Fastiverse. The Fastiverse? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Really? It works, though, right? I yeah. guess. <laughs> and that's uh, John Ortiz, who was um, in Philip Seymour Hoffman's playgroup, Labyrinth, and I would love to have him on. But I, then we were discussing the there how he's actually in, I think, two Fast films, Kyle, right? Yeah, he's the... He, he's Braga. The bad guy in four. Oh. And he reappears in six, I think? Six, yeah, in prison, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's really funny, because that guy usually... He's a gr- yeah. He's a great actor, and he was a longtime friend of Phyllis Hoffman from Labyrinth, their theater group, and then Phyllis Hoffman eventually directed him in Jack Goes Boating, and uh, yeah, so I just, he's someone we're thinking about reaching out to. I would love to get him, but like, yeah. it's funny, because I always feel like he doesn't, I always liked him like being, being like a Latin guy myself, like he doesn't necessarily play like stereotypical Latin roles, but in, fa- in the Fastiverse, he really does, so... Um, yeah, that's pretty. He, he can do both, but well, the Fastiverse is really like an immigrant culture kind of franchise, which is actually kind of really cool. Like, especially the first movie, it's like Paul Walker's kind of the only white guy in it. Like, everybody's either Hispanic or black or you know, Italian, real Italian, yeah. or um, the so guy uh, and the guy that dies in five is white, right? What's his name? No spoilers. I haven't seen all the movies yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, the, like, guy, really? the guy that dies in part one is, is white. Too. Well, yeah, also. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, but yeah, like Paul Jesse. Walker is like the interloper. Yeah. In that, yeah. So it's, it's actually pretty cool. Two Fast and like Furious, uh, main bad guy's white. Um, I mean, there's a, there's oh, no, a lot of not. white guys like in the series. He's Argentinian white, so I guess so. Um, wow, I know way too much <laughs> about this series as well. Uh, question. So uh, this is totally off topic for our podcast. So is Dom Toretto like really hardcore Italian? Is that the one you were alluding to? Because he does, we don't like get too much Italian pride stuff. There's like a whole like. Well, we get family. family. I mean, it's it's that kind of yeah. thing. His his knee, his last name, like almost literally couldn't be more Italian unless it's like, Dom Italia. I get that. So the but. franchise does skew a little though south of the border, like more South American. I feel from time to time in that it does. He kind of makes me think of him. Yeah, the, like, the, the not just yeah, as the, Italian, but like maybe multicultural. He's j- just the, yeah, the, the, Sorry, continue, Kyle. No, I was just going to say the way he says Brazil in five <laughs> well, was just very... Being uh, like a Dominican myself, he's Vin Diesel like thinks he's like an adopted Dominican. Like he's got a house there and there's that prequel to one of them where it's like in the Dominican mm. Republic. It's like a short film yeah. or something. So, so I think it confuses a lot of people. But no, you're right. He's clearly, Dom Toretto's clearly an Italian name. But he loves American muscle, so I mean, he's that. <laughs> they gotta do one in Italy where they go to like where Toretto cars were first made, and he's like <laughs> putting the team together there. Uh, maybe that'll be nine Italian before Italian they go to space in ten. Oh man, yeah. I can't wait. Uh, anywho, uh, anyone else want to plug something? Yeah, I'll just mention in production right now is my podcast, season one of Third Times a Charm. So uh, uh, you guys are gonna be on there. Uh, episode three, so that's thematic. Uh, yes. You'll be on episode three of Third Times a Charm. Oh wow! So, yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome. Joey was on episode one, and uh, can we? Yeah, so can we do it on the twenty cool. third? 
No, that, one, that doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll do we'll do it on uh, March third. The, th- the third w- during the third week of December. Yeah, because well, we have to do it in December. True, true. Yes. You know that that, that one's going to be fun. I signed up for a bunch of those. I don't know if you'll pick me, but I signed up for a bunch of those because those are entertaining. I like a lot of third movies, and the one we're on. I actually it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah I, gonna, I I said it before. Be I said it before, but I really I I really enjoy the concept. I, I think it's something that people will actually uh really tune into and enjoy. So I'm looking forward to yeah. being on it and listening to it and as opposed to all the other yeah. bullshit on this network. <laughs> yeah. A lot of great shows. The network is moving in a awesome direction. And thank you guys for again allowing us on and not kicking us off yet. Definitely appreciate sure. it. Oh. And uh, look, you got it. So um, we're we're really we're we're week to week at this point. It could go any time. It could, you know. <laughs> well, I hope not because we have both of you back on a couple more times. Technically, yeah. So, and I know our Hoff fans are definitely looking forward to that. We won't reveal which episodes yet, but I think we can reveal next week's episode, right, Kyle? Yes, we can. Which is Charlie Wilson's War. And who's the who's the guest on that? Some schmuck, right? Yeah, <laughs> some, never heard of him. some other Italian, Michael Manzi. Michael Manzi, we'll, half, we'll have you on half again. Italian. Uh, <laughs> you're half Italian beauty, and uh, I love Hoffman in that movie. I can't wait to see him go toe to toe with not only Hanks but Julia Roberts, who was not only Aaron Brockovich but also in Ocean's Thirteen. You can catch both of those on Cinemaker Steven Soderbergh. Wait, you mentioned Tom Hanks like as in like the director and also star of that thing you do coming up this Friday and watch the throne. I was just giving you a layup, my friend. <laughs> Slam it home. <laughs> wow, you guys, if this is like two and two basketball, you're like destroying us. Oh, all yeah, it's a Oops, yeah. <laughs> Anywho, well, thank you for all those plugs. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you guys for listening out there. Um, who wants to take us home? Um, yeah, but both of you guys, can you, can, you, can you say it at the same time? Is that Probably uh, not. I'm going to let Mike <laughs> do it. Stay uncool. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.